On these days, it's, it's very difficult to be a good dad. Full disclosure, by God's grace, I believe that there have been both of these types of days that I've been able to be a pretty good dad. And full disclosure, there are both types of these days when I've been a horrible dad. So even when they've been acting perfectly, I've responded really poorly. On days when they've been acting very poorly, there have been days that I've responded in kind. Here's the good news. God is an infinitely better dad than I am. Infinitely better dad than I am. God is a good father every single day to His children. Every day. The title for the sermon this morning is Grumble, Grumble, Grumble. By my count in our passage, and as we read it, you'll notice sometimes there are a few of them in one paragraph. Uh, by my count, it's more than 12 times, I believe, uh, in our passage that the word grumble shows up. The people grumble. As we continue, continue our study of the book of Exodus, we're going to see that the people of God grumble, grumble, grumble against God. They grumble against Moses and they ultimately grumble against the Lord. And here's what else we're going to see. Here's the big idea of the message this morning. Here's the big thing I want us to get is this. The Lord is faithful to His people despite their unfaithfulness to Him. The Lord is faithful to His people despite their unfaithfulness to Him. Pick it up with me in Exodus chapter 15, starting in verse 22. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. They came to Marah. They could not drink the water, uh, the water of Marah, because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God, and do that which is right in his eyes, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. Then they came to Elim, where there were twelve springs of water and seventy palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. They set out from Elim, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we have died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them, whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. 
So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because He has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat, and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling, that you grumble against Him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for He has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, At twilight you shall eat meats, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. In the evening quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, each one of you, as much as you can eat. You shall take each an omer according to the number of persons that each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered some more and some less. But when they measured it with an omer, each gathered, uh, whoever gathered much had nothing left over. And whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. And Moses said to them, Let no one leave any of it over till morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till morning, and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning they gathered it each as much as he could eat. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. On the sixth day they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, This is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil. All that is left over lay aside to be kept till morning. So they laid it aside till morning, as Moses commanded them. And it did not stink, and there were no worms in it. Moses said, Eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth, days, the sixth day, He gives you bread for two days. Remain, each of you, in His place. Let no one go out of His place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. Now the house of Israel called its name manna. It was like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded let an omer of it be kept throughout your generations, so that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness, 
when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, Take a jar and put an omer of manna in it, and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. The people of Israel ate manna forty years till they came to a habitable land. They ate manna till they came to the border of the land of Canaan. An omer is a tenth of the part of an ephah. Really helpful, right? That little comment for us. Just really helpful. Cleared everything up. You're like, how much is an omer? It's a tenth of an ephah. Clear as day. Sorry, I usually don't stop when we're reading, but that one is... Chapter 17. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages according to the commandment of the Lord and camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore, the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why do you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you, and there on the rock at Horeb, you shall strike the rock, and water will come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel, and because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, Choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him. And he fought with Amalek while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up on top of the hill. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. Whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary, so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it, while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and one on the other side, so his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and the people with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this as a memorial in a book, and recite it in the ears of Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it, The Lord is my banner, saying, A hand upon the throne of the Lord. The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Again, the main idea of the sermon this morning is this. The Lord is faithful to His people despite their unfaithfulness to Him. The way I see this passage breaking down is this. We're going to see this morning four tests. Four tests. Two of the tests, the first one and the last one, will be that the people of Israel, God's people, have, are testing the Lord. They are testing God. And the other two, the middle two tests, will be God testing the people of Israel. What we are going to see is that God passes His tests while the Israelites fail theirs. 
failing tests usually does, it has consequences. Sometimes those consequences are kind of bad. Sometimes those consequences are really bad. I'm going to argue that you and I are very much like the Israelites. That when the Lord tests us, we fail the test. But then I pray that I will be able to show you the good news of God's faithfulness in our life. There is some amazing news about these tests that we fail when the Lord tests us. In verse 27, you're like, how do I write that? It's all good. You'll figure it out. Chapter 15, verses 20 through through the first half of 25. You could write 25a if you want to, and verse 27. The first test, test number one is this. What shall we drink? What shall we drink? After all the excitement of the Exodus, so the people of God, they have been freed from slavery in Egypt. They've left slavery from Egypt. They were brought out by the Lord's mighty hand and by His outstretched arms. And then they came to the, the Red Sea and they, the Egyptians realized what they had done and they pursued the nation of Israel and they were trying to overtake the nation of Israel. And so God parted the Red Sea and so they were able to walk through on dry ground, it says several times. They walked through on dry ground and then the Lord closed up the Red Sea on top of the Egyptian army. And the people just walked out. And then we saw last week, what did they do? When they walked out and they saw the Lord's faithfulness, they sang and they praised the Lord together. And so behind the Israelites, there is this period of time where they have seen the Lord's faithfulness. They have seen His faithfulness in the Exodus. They have seen His faithfulness in the crossing of the Red Sea. And now the Israelites are going to settle in to an indefinite period of time where they do not know what is next. Now, if they did some reading and talking about the stories, they would have an idea of what was next. But to be honest, they really did not know what was next. They did not know how long they were going to be in this wilderness. They were going from one wilderness to another. They were following a cloud. They were following a pillar of fire. They did not know what was next. I don't know if you've ever been in a season like this where you can see God's faithfulness behind you, but when you look forward, all you see is black. All you see is, I don't know. And sometimes it's really tangible things like, what are we going to drink? Now in America, it's actually really hard to go thirsty, especially in eastern North Carolina. There's water like everywhere. And so, but there's some real tangible things, right? It's PCS season, like where, where are we going to live? Like what, what house are we going to live in? What, what's my next... Some of you might be asking, well, what's my next job? Where, where is the next set of orders going to take me? If I get out of the service, what is my next job after the service? What's next? What's in front of us? There's lots of changes in life. And this is, this is where the Israelites are. They're, they're in a very real and tangible way. They, they have much physical danger. They've had lots of fear. They've had lots of evidence of God's faithfulness behind them. But in front of them, they, they don't know what is in front of them. And so they do what you and I do in these situations, right? When there's, oh, I see God's faithfulness behind me. But when I look forward, I don't know what's next. And, and, and the Israelites do what we do, right? They grumble. That's what we do. We grumble. 
I don't know what's next. What? I need to know what's next. I have to know what's next. God, why don't I know what's next? Why aren't you telling me what the next step is? Why aren't you showing me my 25-year plan? Why isn't it there? Why aren't you showing me this? And so they grumbled and we grumble as well. And they asked questions, what shall we drink? One thing I want you to notice, one thing I want you to see is that God passes this test. The Israelites bring a need before the Lord, even in a grumbling tone. They bring this before the Lord and God leads Moses to a tree that makes the water at hand drinkable. So they had some bitter water. This was the first one that we read. Uh, So there was some bitter water. And in the context, we believe that uh, it's not only just bitter to taste, but it was probably making them sick when they would drink the water. But God leads Moses to a, a log or a tree and He throws it into the water and it makes it sweet. It makes it uh, able to be drank and consumed. And you're like, well, that's, that's sufficient, right? So the water at hand, that's sufficient. But then God actually picks them up and moves them. And if you look at uh, chapter 15 and verse 27, God actually picks them up later and He moves them to Elim where there were 12 springs of water and 70 palm, spring, uh, palm trees and they encamped there by the water. So this is exactly what happens to us most of the time, right? So we plea with God, like, God, I need something. I need a tangible. I need something to drink. I need something to eat. I need to know where I'm going to live. I need to understand what is in front of me. And God not only answers with just enough, a lot of times He answers with way more than we could ever ask or imagine. He, he, he answers with 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees. He answers far more than we could possibly think or imagine. God passes the test. God is faithful to care for His people. Sometimes it's just enough, but most of the time it it is significantly more than we need. But you know, the story doesn't stop there. God knows that His people don't just need Him for their physical provision. Like, we don't just need God for food and water and shelter and clothing. We need God Himself. We need a relationship with God, and that relationship only works if He's in charge and we submit to Him because He knows better than we do. And so that leads us to the next test. Test number two is will you obey? This is God testing the Israelites. Test number two is, will you obey? It is in chapter 15, verse 25, through chapter 16, verse 21. 15, 25 through 16, 21. Will you obey? Pick it up with me in the second half of verse 25 of chapter 15. Chapter 15, verse 25. There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and there He tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God, and do that which is right in His eyes, and give ear to His commandments, and keep all of His statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. Then the Israelites, after this statute, if you obey my voice 
If you obey what I tell you, I'm going to protect you. I'm going to keep you. I'm actually going to keep you from diseases. Then the Israelites, they grumble again, and they ask the Lord for food. It's a reasonable request, but again, it's in a grumbling tone. And God uses the opportunity of providing food as a test for the people's obedience to the Lord's commands. Look at verse 16, uh, chapter 16, chapter 16 and verse 4. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day. Why? That I may test them, whether they will walk in my law or not. So what God is going to do is God is going to send quail in the evening and manna, bread in the morning from heaven. And He's going to do so every day with an exception we'll talk about in a second. The people are to gather only what they need for that day and they are to eat all of it and they are to save none of it until the next morning. The instructions are really clear. Hey, manna, bread is going to come every day. Go gather what you need. Eat as much as you want. It says several times in the text, eat until you are filled. Quail in the evening, eat till you're filled in the morning. Eat all you want, just don't save of any of it till the next day. And oh yeah, you got to go gather it in the morning because once it gets hot outside, it's going to go away. Pretty simple. And what happens? The Israelites fail the test. People try to go out and they want to leave a bunch on the ground so that it will be there when they come back. Like, I'll just gather a little bit, eat just a little bit now, and I'll go back in the afternoon and I'll get some more. But then they go back in the afternoon, there's none there because it's all been burned up. Then other people say, I'm going to gather a bunch, and I'm going to eat some of it, and I'm going to save the rest till morning. And what happens? It stinks the next morning, and it's got worms in it. And all it does is stink up their house and bring worms into their house and help them to realize, like, oh, you just disobeyed the Lord. So the test was, will you trust the Lord for your daily bread? Will you trust the Lord to provide what you need when you need it each day? And the Israelites failed the test. But it's actually a little more complex than that, isn't it? Right? You're like, well, they, they kind of failed, but then later on, as the Lord kept working with them, they actually had to learn the lesson and be obedient. Did you see how that happened as we read through it? You see, what actually happens, and do not miss this, God passed the test for them. God disciplined them and guided them and continued to work with them so that they would walk in His ways. So that they would know that He is the Lord. So if they went and gathered a little, then it would all work out. If they all went and gathered a lot, it would work out. If, if, things, uh, things, if they saved it up, it would just not stay around. It would stink and it would have worms in it and it would be worthless. And so they had to trust the Lord's provision even when they did not want to. Please do not miss this. If you are one of God's people, and that's a big if, but if you are one of God's people, God will cause you to walk in His ways and in His statutes. He has many things at His disposal to make us do it. But He will make us to walk in His ways over time. 
We typically call this the discipline of the Lord. We typically call this the discipline of the Lord. Keep a finger in Exodus there and turn over to Hebrews. Hebrews is a relatively large book in the New Testament towards the end of the New Testament. Hebrews chapter 12. If you don't want to play the sword drill today, that's fine. You can just listen. Hebrews chapter 12. So uh, it's it wasn't an accident that I started the uh, started the sermon talking about father to son, father to child relationships. And I want you to read what the writers of Hebrew, the writer of Hebrews says. Uh, Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse 5. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by Him. For the Lord disciplines the one He loves, and chastises every son whom He receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they, the earthly fathers, disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But He, the Lord, disciplines us for our good, that we may share in His holiness." For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So just think about this as we think about the Israelites, right? So very clear instruction. Go out, gather as much as you need to in the morning, eat all of it, boil what you want to, bake what you want to, but you need to eat all of it, don't wait till afternoon to go pick it up. Don't save it up until the next day. Just do what the Lord has instructed and He will provide for you what you need when you need it. And the Israelites disobey. And so what does God do? Okay, you're going to go and disobey and you're going to try to gather throughout the day. Well, when it gets hot, I'm going to burn up and so it's just not going to be there. Oh, those of you that want to gather it up, well, I'm just going to cause it to stink and and have worms and it's just not going to work out. And so through that pain and through that trial and error, the people of God learn God's way. They could have just listened to Him, but instead there's some of us that have to learn things the hard way, is there not? So here's the thing for each one of us. The easier way to learn is to take the Lord at His Word. Just read the Scriptures, try to figure out what it means, what it's trying to say, apply it in your life, and walk in it. Man, that'd be great if we just did that for all of it, isn't it? But listen to me. If we are His children, when we don't do that, and there's lots of ways that that sequence that I just said can go wrong, right? So if we say, you know what? I think I've got enough idea of what the Bible says. I'm just going to put it aside. I'm going to become one of these that just show up like a couple times a year to church and I'll just kind of hang out near church and it'll be good. I'll get enough teaching. 
I'll read the Bible when things go really bad. Maybe I'll pick up a psalm. Right? The Lord is my shepherd. Ah, oh, yes. Amen. I'll listen to some good K-love. Lord loves you. No matter what you're doing, Lord loves you and affirms everything you're doing. Awesome. Man, I feel great. Right? So we just we don't even want to know what God says. Well, if you're one of His children, He's going to discipline you. And things in your life just aren't going to work out how you envisioned that they were going to work out. And you're just going to keep running into walls. You're going to keep having things in your life sit around and stink and bring worms into your life. I don't know what that is for you. I, I really don't. I can tell you what some of those things have been in my life. And uh, I'll tell you, I was not saved until I was 20 years old. And so I had like some uh, learning things the hard way. So I was, I was able to sin. Before I was a Christian, I was able to sin. I was able to enjoy it. And I was able to get away with it. It was, a, it was, it was great, honestly. Because I was in ignorance. I didn't know that I was destroying myself. Then as soon as I was saved, I would do some of the same sins that I had gotten away with for years. And all of a sudden, I would start to feel some of the effects of those sins. And I could, we could walk through a lot of different things of how that works. Man, there was how I treated women. I, I could treat women like garbage for as, as much as I wanted to as a teenager. But then when I was saved, like all of a sudden there was effects and I could feel those effects. It broke relationships and it, I started to realize the pain I was causing on the women in my life. It wasn't good. What about substance, right? I got away with... Uh, abusing substance for a long time. And it didn't really affect me until I was saved. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, like it would, I would start to feel the effects of abusing substance. One of the weird ones, those of you that know me well have probably heard the story. Uh, I, I just sped. Like when I got in a car, it was a race. Didn't matter. I mean, I could be going to the grocery store, Walmart, like convenience store. Didn't matter. It was a race. My goal was to get there as fast as humanly possible. Every other car on the road was competition to me. Like, they didn't know they were in a race, but they were in a race. You know what I'm saying? And I was able to do that for years. From age 16 to 20, like, I'd get pulled over, and, like, I would know the cop, and he'd be like, hey, it's all good. I know your, I know your brother. I know your cousin. I don't have a brother. Sorry. I know your cousin. I know this other guy, right? But the Lord, but as soon as I turned uh, 20, as soon as I was saved, all of a sudden he started to discipline me. And for me, that ended up three nights in a city jail. And uh, all of a sudden, the Lord had to realize, like, had to tell me and inform me and remind me, like, hey, this works different now. You're one of my children. I discipline you because I love you. It's better to walk in my ways than to walk in your own ways. Again, I don't know what that looks like in your life, but I'm telling you, it is better to walk in the Lord's ways than to walk in your own ways. And God loves you so much that if you're one of His children, He's going to discipline you into the right way. He's going to discipline you into the right way. God tested the Israelites to see if they would obey His commands. And they failed the test. And yet God in His love and His grace towards them, He calls them to walk in His ways. He does the same thing with the Sabbath, which we'll see, but we're going to focus a little differently as we think about the Sabbath. Test number three. Test number three is this. Will you trust Me? Will you trust Me? 
Again, this is God testing the Israelites. Will you trust me? This is in uh, chapter 16, verses 22 through 36. Chapter 16, verses 22 through 36. Will you trust me? You see, the first uh, five days of the week, obeying God was the only test. Obeying God was the only test. On the sixth and seventh days, the rules changed a little bit. A new test arrived. Will you trust the Lord to not spoil a double portion gathered on the sixth day? And will you rest on the seventh day? Will you do those? Will you work a little bit harder on the sixth day? Realize that God is faithful enough to preserve that for one additional day. And then will you actually rest on the seventh day? This is a bit of a new test. Will you trust me? Will you trust me that even when it feels like I changed the rules a little bit, will you trust me? Will you trust the Lord? Will you trust Him when it's time to work a little bit harder? And will you trust Him to rest when it's time to rest? And the Israelites, again, they fail the test. In chapter 16 and verse 27, it says this, On the seventh day, some of the people, they went out to gather, but they found none. What was the command on the seventh day? Stay inside and rest. They failed that test. Command, rest. And they failed that, they failed that command. Trust me, rest. Don't leave your house today, rest. Man, we would never fail that one, would we? Oh, oh, wait. We do. All the time. Did you know I was reading a Forbes, uh, uh, a Forbes article from last year? And it said that nearly half of Americans do not use all of their vacation. Did you know that about a quarter of Americans leave more than a week of vacation on the table? And I know military vacation is a little bit different, uh, but the point is still valid. I remember uh, when I served, when I was on active duty, we were like fighting two wars and uh, guys were deploying all the time, but uh, they had to increase the amount of leave that you could carry from one year to another. Right, so I think the, right now it's 60 days you can carry from one year to another. Is that accurate, somebody? All right, I got, a, I got one north to south. 60 days. Well, there was a time that it was 90 days, and if you were deployed, I think it could be increased to like 120 days. And you had people that were like losing leave because they had more than 90 days of leave gathered up that they never took. We fail to rest. We're workaholics. We're like the only society in the history of the world where taking a nap in the middle of the day is like grossly frowned upon. Did you realize that? Do you know how refreshing a 15-minute nap in the middle of the workday can be? Especially if your job is a mental exercise. Now, if your job is just like doing some physical labor, man, I would say a nap under a shade tree might be uh, really helpful as well. But especially if you have a mental endeavor, man, taking a, a power nap can be extremely helpful. But... Man, you'd be frowned upon, won't you? Go to work this week, just going to take 15 minutes, rest my eyes for a moment, and be like, this guy's lazy. This guy's lazy. That's what they'd say. Hey, I'm going to take, how was your weekend? You know what? I took the day off on Sunday. Took the day off. You didn't do any projects? Nope, I took the day off. I rested. Seems to be frowned upon in our society. One thing, uh, unfortunately, this weaves its way into the church, does it not? 
weaves its way into the church. What's uh, some of the laments? Uh, I'm, I'm a uh, second career pastor, and so uh, just hanging around other pastors, I didn't realize what pastors talked about when before I was one, but one of the laments among pastors and among church people is that 10% of the people do 90% of the work, right? Now, that's a problem for a lot, both sides, right? That means there's some who are just lazy and don't want to be involved and are just non-committal, right? That's a problem for those. But it's also a problem for the 10% that are willing to do everything and work themselves into an early grave and work themselves into early burnout to do everything, right? It's a challenge for a lot of us. We just want to do and do and do and keep going. We need to learn to rest. We have to learn something. Busyness in and of itself is not a virtue. Busyness in and of itself is not a virtue. But we say it all the time, don't we? How are you doing today? Busy. Like that's a good thing, right? We don't even say good or fine anymore. We just say busy. How are you doing? I'm busy. Oh, well, you must be doing something right. Not necessarily. Not necessarily. Busyness in and of itself is not a virtue. I want you to notice. Uh, I want you to notice something else. Why, why does God give us this rest? Why does God give us these seasons of rest? These days of rest, seasons of rest, which we'll find later on in the scriptures. Notice what the the next chapter or the next uh, paragraph from verses thirty-one through thirty-six. He starts talking about the remembrance over generations. Remembrance over generations. Look, the work we're doing as Christians is not a today work. It's not a this week work. It's not even a this year work. We are trying to change generations. Right? We're trying to redeem generations. I'm really thankful. My parents were Christians my whole life growing up. My grandfather was a Christian. Uh, my grandfather was saved when my dad was a, a teenager. And so I've been able to see just the, the legacy that can happen when, when parents pass on to their children, who pass on to their children, a lineage of faith and trust in the Lord. Some of you don't have that. You're like first generation Christians. Your parents don't know what to think about this faith that you have. Man, you're not trying to fix all that today. You're not trying to fix all that this week. You're trying to lay a foundation of faithfulness for generations. And you know what that takes every once in a while? Take a day off. Take a day off. Go to the beach. Go take a walk. Enjoy God's creation. And if you're just working, there's, there's something wrong. There's a lack of trust in the Lord. Also notice with the Sabbath, if we say, okay, God tested the people, will you rest? God tested the people, will you trust me? God tested the people, will you take a day off? And, and we say, well, did they pass the test? And I would say no. But then you say, well, did they take a day off? Yeah, they eventually had to. right? Because there was no work to be done. They went out to gather and there was nothing to do. So God disciplined them and God brought them to the place where they had to trust Him and they had to rest. For us, sometimes that is illness. Sometimes that's the flu. Sometimes that's a stomach ulcer. Sometimes that's whatever. Right? Sometimes God just says, you know what? The world's going to be fine without you. And if you can't realize that on your own, I'm just going to make you sick for like a week. 
I really think that's one of God's purposes with the flu. Like, why in the world would we get sick for a week? And like, you can't, what do you do? Nothing. You just, re- you just sit there and wait for it to pass, right? You just wait and you rest. Why? Because we need to learn to rest. The world will be fine without you for a few minutes. Test number four. Test number four. Is the Lord among us? This is from chapter 17, the whole chapter, verses 1 through 16. Chapter 17, this is the people wondering towards God, towards Moses, towards Aaron, towards God. Is the Lord among us? This fourth test has a stronger flavor to it. They went from grumbling to quarreling. Moses, when he went to the Lord and he asked, Lord, these people are about to stone me, he says. He sees that the people are angry. He sees that the people are mad. And there at the end of verse 4, he says, they are almost ready to stone me. They're saying, give us water to drink. But I think what the heart issue is, is captured in verse 7. At the very end of verse 7, it says, is the Lord among us or not? So two places where they're asking this question, is the Lord among us again to provide for us? We're out of water again. We don't have water. And God passes the test by providing water. He says, Moses, here's what you're going to do. You're going to walk in front of the people. You're going to grab some elders with you. You're going to walk up to the rock in Horeb and you're going to strike the rock and I'm going to give water to the people. That's what's going to happen. I'm going to provide. Yes, I'm among you. Yes, I'm here. Yes, I'm faithful. No, I'm not going to bring you out in the desert and kill you. I'm going to be faithful. And then there's a battle with Amalek and it's like, well, well, our might is going to save us. No, that's not what's going to save you. What's going to save you is an old man up on a hill holding his arms up with two other guys holding his arms up while he sits on a rock. Right? That's how God is going to bring victory to the people. Is the Lord among us? And God passes the test with a resounding yes. The Lord is with us. He is among us for our provision. And He is among us for our protection. He provides for the Israelites with water. This morning we celebrate that He provides for us with a building. He is with us for our protection. I don't know if you realize it or not. uh, Paul talked about it yesterday at the men's portion of the Spiritual Maturity Conference. We are at war. The world does not want us to continue as a church. Did you know that? Satan does not want a church to continue. That's why Christ had to say, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Why would Jesus say something like that? Because the gates of hell are trying to prevail against the church. And so we need the Lord to be among us for our protection. And praise God, the Lord is among us for our protection. He is among us to teach us and to show us His way and to cause us to walk in His ways. So again, the Israelites, they test God. He passes the test. God tests them. They fail the test, but then He disciplines them to pass the test. 
But you see, you might be wondering, like, well, this is weird. Like when I first came in this morning, there was a big thing up there, knowing Jesus and making Him known, making Jesus known. And we start every service. We're like, hey, we exist as a church to know Jesus and make Him known. And you're like, I didn't see Jesus mentioned in this passage. Well, it's interesting to think about where is Jesus in this passage. You see, the Israelites, they cried out for water to drink. God, will you provide us water? Well, Jesus, He walked up to a well in John chapter 4 and a Samaritan woman started talking with Jesus. And she knew that she could not obey the Lord perfectly just like the Israelites. And in case she had forgotten that she was not obeying the Lord perfectly, Jesus reminded her that she was not obeying the Lord perfectly. And then Jesus says to her something really interesting in John chapter 4. He says this, Everyone who drinks of this water of the well will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never thirst again. The water that I will give him will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus provides living water to those who trust in Him. The Israelites also, they fail to obey the commandments and the statutes and the rules of God. But what we learn about Jesus is that Jesus perfectly obeys. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is giving His disciples the Sermon on the Mount, we usually call it. And Jesus says that He did not come to abolish the law. He did not come to do away with the law and say, hey, the law is not for you anymore. He said He came to fulfill the law. He came to perfectly obey the law of God. Further in Philippians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul says that Jesus was perfectly obedient to God the Father. He was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The Israelites were disobedient in their how to go pick up food off the ground. They were disobedient in how to take a day off. Jesus, however, was obedient all the way to the point of death on a cross. The Israelites also, they cried out for food from God. Said, God, we need food, we need quail, we need bread, we, we need something. Well, John, Jesus in John chapter 6 says this about Himself. He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to Me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in Me will never thirst. Jesus is the bread of life. The Israelites cannot obey, they cannot rest God, rest from their work on the seventh day. They cannot display their trust in the Lord and receive His gracious provision of rest. The, writers, the writer of Hebrews says that Jesus is our ultimate rest. In Hebrews chapters 3 and 4, we get a lengthy section of the Bible on this topic where the Israelites were disobedient to enter into the rest of God for one day, we who trust in Jesus Christ can enter into the restfulness of knowing the one true God through Jesus. We can enter into the full rest of God through Jesus Christ. And the Israelites asked, Is God among us? Is God among us? And God answered with His provision of water, and God answered with His provision of success and victory against the Amalekites. 
But ultimately, God answers His question through Jesus Christ. Jesus came to us. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. Now, if we miss it sometimes during Christmas season, there's a lot of noise at Christmas, right? So maybe every once in a while we need to talk about it in May. Jesus came to us. God the Son came to us. He came to dwell with us. He is Emmanuel, God with us. And then even when He left His disciples bodily to ascend to the right hand of God the Father where He sits now, He sent a Helper, the Holy Spirit, to be with us and to help us in our time of need. So Jesus fulfills all of these things that we see. He, he epitomizes the answers that God gives to the tests that we ask of Him. And Jesus fills in and, and is a success for our failure. So when we fail, Christ is our solution. I know that you fell short this week in the test that God gave you. I did as well. And I bet deep down inside, you know that you have failed as well. And so when you look at your face in the mirror, when you lay your head on the pillow, there are times and there are days and there are seasons where you believe and if there is a God and He has any standard at all, I don't meet it. And I want to tell you that's true. Some people are like, no, 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 you're really good. No, 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 it's true. You cannot meet God's standard. Thankfully, Christ has met God's standard. And all that you need to do is to trust in Jesus Christ as your only hope for salvation, trust that He has lived a perfect life that can count for you and that He has died a sacrificial death that can count for you and trust on Him and be saved. You see, God is faithful to His people even when His people are unfaithful to Him. I love you guys. Let's pray. God, thank You for Your faithfulness. We could spend the rest of today, the rest of this week, I look forward to spending the rest of eternity just praising You for Your faithfulness. God, we fall short over and over and over again, but thank You for coming to us Jesus, thank You for living the life that we are unable to live. Thank You for dying the death that we deserve. God, thank You for Your faithfulness despite our unfaithfulness. We love You in Jesus' name. Amen.